Hey, let's start with the prayer. Yeah, let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift of our faith. We ask you to help us to continue to hand on the great gift of the inheritance that our faith is right here at Sacred Heart and beyond. Please guide our conversations today and help us to grow ever deeper in our love for you and our love for one another. And we ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for uh, joining us today. Uh, if you don't know us, my name is Michael Becker. I'm the director of operations here at Sacred Heart, and I am joined with. Father John Eckert, the pastor of Sacred Heart in Salisbury. And this is the first installment of a very long, which will be very long, catechism series. Each last Thursday of the month, from 3.30 to 4.30, we'll be joining together here in Father's office, and we're going to talk about 50 paragraphs of the catechism. And I think you did the math. I did. So it's uh, the catechism, this wonderful book right here, uh, has 2,845 paragraphs. So if you divide that up, that's going to work out to be 4.77 years. So that's actually, it's, it's shorter than I thought. Originally, I said I thought it was going to be six years. But if we do it, you know, once a month, 50 paragraphs uh, a month, I mean, hey, I mean, five years, that's nothing. I was in the seminary for six. So, yeah. I mean, really, that's, it's not that much. Um, but no, I think this is going to be great. And one of those things that we've talked about for a long time, just wanting to figure out the way to hand on the faith better and better here at Sacred Heart. And thank God for, you know, this particular medium. I mean, it's it's helped a lot over the last year as COVID has hit and uh, just kind of embracing the uh, remote way of all of us getting together. Well, this is a good way for us to do it. Michael and I enjoy talking about these things anyway. It's one of the great uh, perks of working in a parish. Uh, we get to talk about what we love all the time. And it's exciting that with you know, these wonders of new technology that we can uh, can do it together. You know, it's funny. I was actually thinking during prayer, I should have just been thinking about our Blessed Mother. But, you know, it's funny when you think about, like, the way that we used to take pictures. You know, it's like, yeah, to get the film developed and, like, kind of make sure it's just right. It's like, well, you know, now we take so many pictures of all this digital technology. Well, now my office can suddenly become a studio. And it's incredible. And we can, you know, have this and have these conversations and, uh, but thank you for joining us. I uh, have no idea from here how many are, but I'm excited that you're with us. Yeah, and hopefully you all will be able to join us throughout the hour. And then hopefully people will be watching this recorded on online. It'll be posted on Facebook afterwards. Um, I will also get the audio posted on our SoundCloud, which will uh, go to our Apple podcast. So you can listen to it on your car ride to work someday. And please share it with your friends and family. And we'll keep doing this on a monthly basis for... 4.7 years. Yeah. That means we have to stay, both have to stay here for four years so we can keep this up. That's pretty well, nearly five. We'll just call it five. Five years. And we'll, we'll round that up. That works pretty well, 2026. I think that's it. You know, that's pretty good. Okay. Starting at, yeah, I guess it basically be, you know, 2026 since we're starting in February of 2021. Pretty darn close. Not bad. So let's dive in. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to grab my catechism here. As you can see, mine is quite a bit smaller than Father's. 
they do come in a variety of sizes. And I think that variety is essentially two sizes uh, <laughs> that I've seen. These small, like sort of pocket ones, although those are really hard to find. This only this is actually published in Australia. So it's published by St. Paul's Media in Australia. So I got it for Christmas. So my mother-in-law was great and she was able to find it for me, which I was very excited. That is a great gift. So I actually, I, I received one of those as a gift when I was a seminarian. And unfortunately, I remember using it for a catechism class in my last assignment and I lost it. So kind of, I guess when it's smaller, you can lose it more easily. I know. I mean, it's a wonderful resource, but I mean, and this is, you know, the big boy, this is actually the one that I had when I was in seminary. And I remember, and I'll just give a little anecdote. I remember in seminary, so, you know, just those of you who don't know, uh, after college, if you come in with uh, you know, post-secondary degree, uh, we have to go through a period called pre-theology in which we get a bachelor's of philosophy and then four years of theology or you know, master's level theology studies. But in those first two years of philosophy studies, we still got some theology. And what it was, was it was a uh, four semester catechism class. And I remember thinking as an arrogant young seminarian, like ah, the catechism, I already know the catechism. And I wish I could go back in time and slap myself because like, it's incredible what's here. I mean, it's, it's a amazing gift that the church has given us. Uh, it came out during the pontificate of St. John Paul II, who pulled together some incredible theologians at the time. Uh, one in particular became the next Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, I happen to know that a Jesuit priest friend uh, who recently passed away was involved. You know, uh, Christoph Cardinal Schoenborn from Austria, uh, several different people all over the world working hard to bring together this incredible gift to the church. And, you know, so us walking through it, we'll dive right into the prologue here in a moment. Uh, the thing I would say is it can either look intimidating in the fact that it is, you know, a pretty hefty looking volume, but at the same time, it also be like, I know my catechism, catechism classes for kids. Well, it's, it's a great resource for leaping off into all the different areas of the faith to walk through it, as Michael and I have been trying to do for the last couple of weeks, in earnest, last couple of days, to get ready for this. I mean, there's so many beautiful basics about the faith, and to have this place so we can go and then dive off in other areas, like I said, it's one of the great gifts we have in the church, and that we know where to go, at least as a starting point, to understand the great mysteries of the faith. And we were going to do 100 paragraphs a month, but after Father and I read the first 50, it was so dense and so thick of material, we thought, we can't cover 100 paragraphs in an hour. We could hardly cover, we might not even be able to cover 50 paragraphs in an hour, but we're going to do it anyways. Um, and if we don't get through all the content in the first 50, please feel free to ask questions, post questions online. We'll try to answer some questions next month for this recording. So it'll be a little cycle. But yeah, let's jump into the prologue. And actually, what I would like to start with is paragraph four, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Because the great thing about paragraph four, well, in the whole catechism, but paragraph four actually talks about what catechesis means. So obviously, when we're talking about the catechism of the Catholic Church, obviously, we all know what the Catholic Church is. But what does catechism actually mean? And this paragraph, I think, is great. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read please a little read. bit of it. Um, the name catechesis was given to the totality of the church's efforts to make disciples, to help men believe that Jesus is the Son of God, so that believing they might have life in his name, and to educate and instruct them in this life, thus building up the body of Christ. So the catechism, or catechesis in general, 
is really focused towards introducing people to the person of Christ from the early church fathers, from the earliest church efforts of evangelizing. This is the term that was used. And then the next paragraph talks about catechesis and educating and education in the faith for children, young people, and adults. So this is what catechism, catechesis and catechism ultimately means. It's for everybody, too. Two, two big things here. For in, in paragraph five, notice, faith of children, young people, and adults. So essentially, everyone. And I think one of the great things about our faith is that when you think about the mystery of the faith, you never get to the point where you just exhausted the whole thing. You know, when we hit 4.77 years and we've read the whole catechism, I mean, it's not like, okay, I'm done with learning about the faith. I guess I'll go learn the piano now. It's like, it doesn't work that way. And I think one of the keys to that is back in paragraph four, where it says that, you know, catechesis was given to the totality of the church's efforts to make disciples. I mean, it's more than just, okay, we're going to learn a bunch of stuff. And then we move on. It's to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And of course, we learn more and more about the things that we love, the things that we're excited about, the things that have eternal consequences. And so this is more than just we're going to find out about, you know, about Jesus. It's coming to know him, to love him, to serve him in this life, and to be happy with him forever in the life to come. Exactly. And the beautiful thing about the Catechism is that it's really not an original text. The Catechism really is just a compilation of 2,000 years of church teaching and history, and they take so many citations, they take so many other texts. If you ever look at the footnotes, some of these pages have five, six, seven, eight footnotes at the bottom of the pages quoting really all these texts that we have here. We actually staged this appropriately. We've got Vatican, uh, Vatican II, we've got the Scripture, we've got encyclicals, We've got the Summa by St. Thomas Aquinas, Lives of the Saints, Canon Law. All of these things are going to be brought into the Catechism. And so this is really just a summary in some ways. This is the summary of the Catholic faith. And as you dig into those footnotes and as you dig into those sources, you have a lifetime of reading ahead of you, which is very exciting. Absolutely. And, and just to kind of use the language of the Catechism, paragraph 11 said this, This Catechism aims at presenting an organic synthesis of the essential and fundamental contents of Catholic doctrine as regards both faith and morals. I mean, it's incredible, you know, an organic synthesis, bringing all of those different things together. When you think about the one holy Catholic apostolic church, you know, it's, it's contained, you know, right here. And as Michael said, we have like all of these starting points to go to, like even just on page nine, when you get to paragraph 10 to 13, you've got, uh, a document, Catechese Tridende, um, from uh, an apostolic exhortation from St. John Paul II. You have his final report from the Extraordinary Synod of Bishops in 1985. Uh, another statement from him. You got these, uh, I guess that's mostly all from the 80s and now. Shoot, I was hoping there was going to be more there. But he actually had some more uh, references in some of the other paragraphs. Um, and then it starts to move into like what the overarching structure of the whole catechism is and how they you know take that organic synthesis and present it in a way that is i guess accessible with these you know the four parts of the catechism you want to talk about the yeah catechism? so there's four pillars of the catechism and they're outlined in paragraph 13. so these uh pillars focus on the creed so what we believe uh faith if you take the creed and break that down into parts there's multiple paragraphs 
dozens of paragraphs about each part of the creed that goes through the entire first section of the catechism. You get the sacraments um, within the life of faith. So talking about the uh, seven sacraments of the church, which is uh, really beautiful. And we actually use that part of the catechism a lot in the RCIA class I teach. Um, the third section is on the uh, morality, essentially, focusing on the Ten Commandments, the, the do's and do nots, how to live a, a good moral life, good virtuous life in the church. We also focus on that a lot in RCIA as well. So sorry when we get redundant, when we get to that point, for those of you who've gone through RCIA. And then the last part is about prayer, about specifically focusing on the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Christ taught us, and talking about how we can pray and the life of prayer within the Catholic Church. So it really is a nice summary of the faith. And those four pillars take all the teachings of the Catholic Church and organize them very nicely as we dive through this text. It's a beautiful organic synthesis. So it's great. And so just so you know, you know, to look at the catechism in that way, it's like, well, why do we talk about the Trinity? We can go right to the creed. Or, you know, what's this about the requirements for confirmation? Well, you can go to part two about the sacraments. Or, okay, wait a second, why can't I murder my neighbor? Well, you go to life in Christ, look at the morality, and talk about the Ten Commandments there, and I believe it also talks about the Beatitudes. Um, and then finally, it's like, well, how am I supposed to communicate with God? Well, here's the whole section on prayer, which is beautiful. Um, and I got to tell you, I'm excited to go through this paragraph by paragraph, and we're going to kind of, you know, as we get to these different sections, uh, We'll see how it, what, what kind of a shape it takes because the two of us kind of have a way of looking at things a little bit different. But I think we're actually pretty good about bringing it back into an organic synthesis. Uh, it's, I really like that phrase. Yeah, it's great. Um, to get you know back to you know, how we go through this. And I would just say it's kind of like a good parish project for all of us each month to read 50 paragraphs of the Catechism. How long would you say it took you to read 50 paragraphs? The first time I really dug through a well, and it probably took me 30 to 35 minutes, maybe a little bit more. Second time, I glanced over it. I also am not afraid to write in my Catechism. I know a lot of people are afraid to write in Bibles and Catechisms, but it is totally okay. And honestly, as I'm doing this now, I'm seeing all the things that I underline, I'm circling things, I'm making notes, and then someday, after we finish the whole catechism, and I go back and look at all those beautiful notes I wrote, I'm going to be able to see what my life was like at that point. What was God moving, what ways was God moving me then versus now? And it'll be a beautiful reference for me in my faith life. So don't be afraid to write in it, highlight it, pen, pencil, sticky notes, whatever you want. Because when you have a really nice, pristine Bible or catechism, the problem is we know you haven't used it, right? You want one that's beat up a little bit. And I hope this catechism gets beat up a little bit as we go through the text. I will say, as you say, I'm kind of embarrassed because this looks really good. Mine looks good, too, because I have several other catechisms that I've used in the past. So, Well, and I know and a lot of times, like for homilies and things, I'm very often like pulling uh, quotes offline. However, I've had this since 2004. And I mean, I've got like post-it notes, and I do have some notes, but yeah. I'd have All right, mine's only two years old, so I have a little bit more of an excuse. Yeah, this, this was the one I think I got for class uh, for first pre-theology. Um, so I'm embarrassed that it's not a little bit more broken, but I did have that one for a long time until I lost it. So that's all right. Um, I guess we would just also say, like, okay, there's the practical directions for using the catechism, uh, where uh, the authors give us, you know, just the the different points about like the use of small print in certain passages indicates observations of a historical or an apologetic nature. 
um, the quotations, the way they do that, the footnotes, and then also, and I think this is an important thing to recognize on uh, paragraph 22, it talks about at the end of each thematic unit, a series of brief texts sum up the essentials of that unit's teaching in condensed formula. These in brief summaries may suggest to local catechists brief summary formulae that could be memorized. Now, I don't think, I've never memorized the in brief sections. We talked about, we, the two of us have memorized like certain paragraphs mm -hmm. and what they're about, but to actually memorize the in brief section, and we'll get there, I believe paragraph 42 starts the in brief so for what we're going to be doing today. Plus, that kind of adds to the quickness of being able to read 50 paragraphs. Like sometimes the last eight to 10 are going to be a sentence or two a piece. So when we say paragraphs are not like super long, you know, dissertations. We're not saying like, you know, read a book and a half before the next time we get together. But the beautiful thing about this kind of size is that in a month, you know, to kind of read through it and have some chance to sort of think about it before the next time we get together like this, just to kind of give an analogy, I really try for the Sunday homily to read the readings for the week or for, for the next Sunday, the Sunday before. So then all week long, it's like stuff is kind of relating, you know, like, oh, this is kind of like, for example, the reading coming up this next Sunday, which is the second Sunday of Lent is the sacrifice of Abraham of his son Isaac. So it's like thinking about like, you know, what our priorities are, you know, am I willing to give God everything? And just, there are different things throughout the week that can sort of apply to that. And I would say as we do this, as we read through the catechism, so the Holy Spirit's gonna work on our lives in some of the same way. Like you may see some things that, oh my gosh, I've never seen that about the faith before. And so it's like maybe, you know, just on a practical level in the way that we're doing this uh, as a parish, maybe read those 50 paragraphs as soon as you can after the class. So the next class will be 51 to 100. Um, read through them and then, you know, kind of maybe give them a little bit of a closer reading later on, one more cursory reading before we meet again. And so you're looking at like an hour and a half of reading all together. Yeah, and the in-briefs are great to review what we did this month. Yeah. Read the last in brief before you read the next section or read the future in brief on this one so you kind of know where we've been and where we're going. Um, and I actually do have an, uh, one small line from an in brief when we get there for to try to memorize. I don't know Perfect. if you picked one out too, but I don't. No, I'm glad that you did because I don't think I did. So he told me to pick one out and I did it. I'm kind of embarrassed that my pastor didn't pick one out myself too. <laughs> did I say that? Did you pick one to, to memorize? No, you said we should. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do that. I probably meant it rhetorically. I, you're so good. I take directional <laughs> And I'm a terrible teacher. <laughs> so the, the last paragraph of the prologue, prologue I really, really like. And um, the, the heading, I think, says it all. For It's just one paragraph, this last section. It says, above all, charity. And really what this paragraph is pointing out is that we have to remember all the time when we are focused on catechesis, when we're focused on evangelizing, when we're focused on learning about Christ, learning about the faith, sharing the faith, it always has to have love and charity at the center of it. And if it doesn't, then we're a crashing gong and a clanging cymbal. First Which, Corinthians 13. Yeah. Thank you. See, like he's not a terrible teacher. He knows his Bible better <laughs> than I do. Um, which is a really, really great thing to remember as we move through this whole time together. Absolutely. Do you, I think you should read the paragraph. You read the paragraph. I read the last one. You did. You're, and actually, and this is a quote from the Roman Catechism which was the catechism that came out of the Council of Trent back in the 16th century. So once again, organic synthesis of the faith. It's, you know, taking the old 
You know, it's, it's like the uh, wise man who goes from his storeroom and brings both, you know, the old and the new. We continue to talk about this charity, and yet, you know, we, we dive back. I mean, obviously, the 16th century, in the grand scheme of things, in the Catholic Church, it's not as old as it could be, but it's still, you know, been around for a while. This is what it says. The whole concern of doctrine and its teaching must be directed to the love that never ends. Whether something is proposed for belief, for hope, or for action, the love of our Lord must always be made accessible so that anyone can see that all the works of perfect Christian virtue spring from love and have no other objective than to arrive at love. And that love that is eternal, the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why we do what we do. I mean, if you think about it, here we are in the Diocese of Charlotte, and our, our wonderful Bishop, Bishop Jugas's motto is, uh, Caritas Christi Urgitnos, the love of Christ impels us. And so that's why we do what we do. The two of us are not making a bonus for this, just so you're aware. I mean, it's one of those things, like, it's just good to share what we love, and I guess, better put, who we love. You know, the eternal love of Jesus Christ. And it's there for all of us. The more we share it, the more it grows. Uh, just finally, before we move into part one, the profession of faith, I will say this. Does yours have the, the pictures? Mine does not have pictures. Ah, uh, there you go. Fancy like the that. one benefit to the big one, you get the pictures. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, okay, so this is a fragment of a fresco from the, catech from the catacomb of Priscilla in Rome, dating from the beginning of the 3rd century AD. It is the most ancient image of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Cool oh, nice. I know. So there are little gems like that in the midst of this. And, you know, we're going to get to beauty actually here in just a minute. Um, but how good it is. I mean, our faith, you know, truth, goodness, and beauty. They call them the three transcendentals. We've got them and they're glorious. And I'm glad we get to share them. So cool. wonderful. And you know what? We're doing great with pace right now. We've almost done 30 minutes and we're 25 paragraphs in. So wonderful. Kudos to us. <laughs> so section one I believe, we believe. Um, and actually, I think this line here in this uh, first paragraph in the section 26 is really great. We must first ask what to believe means. And that is a great question. What does it mean to believe? What, is that, what does that look like? What does it mean when I say, I believe in God the Father Almighty? What does that belief actually compel us to do? How do we live our life based off of that belief? And this section, I think, does a very good job of diving into what it means for man to believe in God and how we are even capable of doing that. Absolutely. And actually, when you know, it talks about uh, as we search for the ultimate meaning of our lives, it moves right into paragraph 27, the desire for God. I love this. The desire for God is written in the human heart because man is created by God and for God. And God never ceases to draw man to himself. Only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. And so that's a, it's a beautiful thing. And they go on, I believe, yeah, to quote Gaudi Metzpez from the Second Vatican Council. But, you know, when you think about that, that, the desire of God is written in the human heart, that all of us are created, said before, and this is a reference to, if I'm not mistaken, the first paragraph of the Baltimore Catechism, created to know, love, and serve God um, in this life and be happy with him forever in the life to come. We are created with the desire for God. Uh, I know that Augustine's going to get quoted here pretty soon, but that, you know, um, that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And that's the case for all of us. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. That desire is there for everyone. And so ultimately, you need to be able to share this. 
that's not some sort of like an arrogant claim. It's that we have a treasure uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, in the deposit of our faith. And we want to share that treasure with everyone because that's what we've been created uh, to embrace. That's why we exist, is that desire for God. And there's another great uh, quote from Gary Metzbeth in paragraph 29. Um, but this intimate and vital bond of man to God. And I love the adjectives that they use there. Intimate and vital. I mean, intimate, this coming to this beautiful relationship, coming to know God so wholly that there's a level of intimacy with God that we have. And that just speaks so much more depth than just a normal relationship, but an intimate relationship. And then a vital bond, a necessary bond, a bond that we need for uh, to live, a bond that we need to have life within us, this vital bond. And I think that, so it's speaking to the human heart, it's written on the human heart, that we were created by God, that we're made in his image and likeness, and this bond, this relationship is intimate and vital. And I think that's just so beautiful right off of these first couple paragraphs. And it's telling us that, oh, I will say this, continuing on with where Michael just left off, intimate and vital bond, man to God, can be forgotten, overlooked, or even explicitly rejected by man. It's an incredible thing in that, you know, God does not force this on us. Like, yes, he created us with the desire for him in our hearts, and yet loves us enough not to just make us robots, right? That it's like, oh, like, you know, that basically, like, let's say that he created us as robots with power cells, with batteries, right? And, you know, he's just going to, you know, fill us up with the charge, and then we're okay to go. I mean, yes, he is intimately involved, but we have the choice. It's the crazy thing about our life. We can forget that intimate and vital bond. We can overlook it or even explicitly reject it. And that's a sad and scary reality, but it is there. And that's how much God loves us and loves our freedom is to let us choose him and not just to be robots. Yeah, the freedom to reject him is, is amazing that he would love us so much that he's willing to let us choose even hell. If we so desire that and we don't desire to follow him. And it's amazing that it's amazing that even people are able to bring themselves to hell. I mean, if God is written on our human hearts, if God is in us from the moment of our creation and because we were made in his image and likeness, you would think that it is almost impossible to reject that. But the catechism is pretty clear that oh, absolutely. 100%, if we desire to reject God, we have that freedom. And unfortunately, it's sometimes all too easy. I know. And that's that's the, the scary thing. I mean, I, I'm probably going to do this a lot. But just to kind of relate it back to Ket, to uh, Fatima, you know, the, the angel at, at the apparitions at Fatima, let us know if, if you don't know about this. I feel like I talk about it all the time, so you probably do. But one of the prayers that the angel taught the shepherd children was, my God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. As part of those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and I love you. It's a thing. I mean, even though we're going to get to this too, God reveals himself in nature. God is revealing himself to us in, in countless ways. That we can know that God exists, you know, just sort of like by natural reason all around us. We'll talk a little bit about the proofs for God's existence. But the fact of the matter is, is how often do we turn our backs on? We don't believe, we don't adore, we don't hope, we don't love him. Or, you know, um, like sacrilegious or, uh, you know, indifference. I mean, how sad it is that we can become indifferent towards our creator who loves us so much, towards his only begotten son who lays his life down for us. Um we can turn our back on that you know, intimate and vital union that you know, gives us joy and peace and all these other things. Now, 
like a lot of like anything that's worthwhile, do you have to work for it? Yes. But we know in our hearts, it's like that's what we're called for. That's that's the, the thing that gives life its its ultimate meaning. It's glorious. But we have to be careful because we can fall into indifference. Yeah. But the beautiful thing is God gives us some evidence that he's here. So God is not just setting us up for failure in a way. He's setting us up in this beautiful creation that he gave us as we read about in Genesis. Um, and so within the natural world that we have and within uh, essentially reality that we have, we see his reflection. We see signs of a higher power existing. And this is what we would call the proofs for the existence of God in reading a part of paragraph 31. These are called the proofs of the existence of God, not in the sense of proofs in the natural sciences, but rather in the sense of converging and convincing arguments, which allow us to attain certainty about the truth. So these are not things that unfortunately we can scientifically prove. We can't write a, a scientific experiment and it can be re reproducible every single time. The catechism, right? These aren't necessarily natural proofs in natural sciences, but they are proofs in that when you rationalize with them with logic and logical arguments and looking at the world around you and trying to understand very um, philosophical ideas in a lot of ways. How did I come to exist? What started everything? How did the world come to existence? You kind of revert back to there has to be a first mover, a divine being, something that got this whole thing rolling. And we even see in history um, the just pagans, as they're referred to by Dante in his, um, in his Divine Comedy, that they even, even the pagans, without having seen Christ, without knowing about the church or baptism or the sacraments or anything about Judaism, can even come to, through their logical understanding and looking at nature and reason, that there has to be a divine being that somehow started this whole thing. I think the philosophical way of sort of putting that boils down to why is there something and not nothing? I mean, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense. Like, why does all of this exist? And it points towards something. And the thing is, it's like, so the physical science proofs of things, like they're good and they don't contradict the faith. But at the same time, the most important of things can't really be proven that way. Like, I cannot prove to you in a laboratory that I love my niece and nephews, right? It just isn't possible. But at the same time, the love that I have for them is no less real, even though I can't give you like the you know scientific explanation of why that is there, you know. And and yet, it is a reality, you know, just as real as anything else. And so it's you know one of those things where, you know, when it comes to proofs for God's existence, you know, like you can work through in philosophy to reason to the point that. You know, once again, why is there something and not nothing? How did this all begin? What What is the reason for any of this? Um, and actually, as, as you talked about with, uh, you know, we call them just pagans, mm -hmm. uh, just one of the references here in paragraph 32, citing Roman, uh, St. Paul's Lawyer of the Romans, Acts of the Apostles, the Book of Wisdom. It says, as St. Paul says of the Gentiles, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them ever since the creation of the world his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. I mean, so the very fact, once again, that there is something and not just nothing, I mean, it, it points towards, you know, something beyond just all this. This isn't all 
oh, what's the what's the phrase? Darn, I forget it. But it's like you know, it's this isn't just madness in some idiot's dream. Like it's not nihilism. Like we're not just going through nothing for no reason. It's like loved into existence. Now that's kind of jumping from the basics to okay, wait, what is this love that we're inserting here all of a sudden? But to look around us, and I would just say, as we film this on February the 25th, 2021 in Salisbury, North Carolina, it is glorious outside today. Like, all of a sudden, it's one of those days in North Carolina where it's like, oh, yeah, the winter's not going to last forever. And we have this, like, beautiful spring weather that comes back. And it's glorious. And it's like, how can you not just sort of, like, give glory to God and thank him for the fact that it's not just all gray and depressing and, you know, and cloudy and why is there weather, you know? Um, one thing, if you don't mind, I yeah. want to share a really uh, favorite quote of mine from, uh, I really like the, the Sherlock Holmes series, and there's one uh, wonderful story called the Naval Treaty, and it's kind of rare that in the midst of those, like Sherlock Holmes just sort of like philosophizes, but I wrote this down for a funeral back over the summer for one of our longtime parishioners, who's wonderful, Charlotte Gardner, who passed away, God rest her soul, say it. Prayer for the repose of her soul. But I read this at her funeral because she was very big into gardening. Listen to this. Sherlock Holmes says, Our highest assurance of the goodness of providence seems to me to rest in the flowers. All other things, our powers, our desires, our food, are all really necessary for our existence in the first instance. But this rose is an extra it's small, and its colors are an embellishment of life, not a condition of it. It is only goodness that gives extras. And so I say again that we have much to hope for from the flowers. I love that. I mean, it's one of those things like, why are there flowers? You know, I mean, we don't have to have them. They don't have to be beautiful. They don't have to smell good. You know, why do we have to have a beautiful Carolina blue sky? We don't have to. He could have made it all dark and dingy and terrible, but he didn't. I mean... Really, when you think about it, the created order is a spectacular, you know, wonderful gift, and it points towards something greater than nothing. Yeah, and actually, that's a little bit jumping ahead because a lot of times these proofs of the existence of God aren't showing that God's good or yeah. loving or beautiful in a lot of ways. So you kind of took a little sneak peek in the future, which is totally fine. Um, just that he is. is yeah. What so, so there's two things we're looking at. So within these proofs for God, which actually St. Thomas Aquinas talks about a lot in his Summa Catechism, kind of glosses over them a little bit. So if you want to dig into that more, definitely his, the Summa is the place to start. But when uh, St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the proofs for existence, it's just that there is a divine being, an all-powerful being. It doesn't talk anything about good, true, beautiful, but we as Christians know that he is good, true, and beautiful. Exactly. I mean, there is something greater to this world that it just exists. It's a beautiful, awesome, I mean, the rose analogy was fantastic. There's no reason for a rose to be so beautiful and to smell so good, but yet it does. Um, And so when they talk about the existence, they summarize in two places. They talk about the world in paragraph 32 and the human person in paragraph 33. And we've talked a lot about the world with the beauty of the world, the, the creation, the universe as a whole. It's a pretty awesome anecdote. We just put another rover on Mars. I've been super excited about this. I, maybe I'm a little nerdy in that way, but I watched the, the rover landing. Some of the video footage that they're 
producing from this is absolutely astonishing that we are now exploring and sending video footage back from another planet in our solar system. I mean, the fact that you can just look up at the heavens and go, why did all this get created? That star that's billions of light years away that I can see, what's the point of that? And ultimately, in a beautiful way, it's for our wonder and awe and just the magnificence of it. There's no other reason that, that God wanted to give us something amazing to look at at night and just to wonder and explore the possibilities and just looking at the vastness of it, I think I think, I think it's pretty obvious that it has a point to a divine being. Absolutely. And like you said, okay, 33, the human person with his openness to truth and beauty, his sense of moral goodness, his freedom in the voice of his conscience, uh, with his longings for the infinite and for happiness, man questions himself about God's existence. I mean, the very fact that we are talking right now, that we're open to goodness, that we're open to truth and beauty, it's like not only that it exists, but then that we can take it in and appreciate it. And we're unique amongst creation for being able to do that. You know, um, that God, you know, created us in this way to be able to take this in, to, you know, enter into relationship, to know about truth, beauty, goodness, um, how incredible that is. Yeah. And then paragraph 34 kind of summarizes all and says, so what is this being? What is this being that has created everything? And it summarizes at the very end from St. Thomas Aquinas. This is what everyone calls God. And it's beautiful. So easy. Such a great summary. This reality, this thing, this thing that has no beginning and no end, that created everything, that is the first mover that has put all of this into motion, we call God. Yeah. Very, in some type of ways, very generically. Like sure. we said, we haven't really got to the Christian God yet. No. But we can understand through natural reason that there has to be a God. There you have it. Beautiful. I love it. All right, we've kind of gotten in there. I guess, you want to skip ahead to this, how can we speak about God? Because I know there was, um, I don't know, I was going to say, like, just kind of getting to that point that, you know, let's see, in defending the ability of human reason to know God, in this paragraph 39, the church is expressing her confidence in the possibility of speaking about him to all men and with all men, and therefore of dialogue with other religions, with philosophy and science, as well as with unbelievers and atheists. You know, just sort of like back in that uh, paragraph 27 about we're created with the desire of God in our hearts. So this isn't some sort of like triumphalistic way of being. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Like This is the foundation of reality. Like we're sharing, you know, the fact of what we have, that we can, as it says, like share this with everyone. Um, and you know, how we can speak about God is how this, this next section moves on before we even get into like you said, uh, moving into Christianity and mm -hmm. Revelation. Yeah, and the section about how to speak about God is showing that we have a very limiting way to speak yeah. about God. So how do we define the eternalness of God? And this is a question that uh, a lot of philosophers in the history of time have meditated upon, and I am no philosopher, and I don't think Father claims to be a philosopher either. But have you ever just thought about yourself, and you just kind of look around and go, I'm seeing the world from my first person, and I'm not father. I'm seeing father in my first person, but he's looking at me. And But how does God, as his personhood in the Trinity, again, kind of giving a little preface for what's to come, how does that even work? How do we define who God is? How does he see all time at once? How is, does he not have a beginning, not have an end? Does he get 
bored while he's God? How can he love us infinitely? How can he communicate with us at, the, at all times? All of a sudden, you see very quickly that the human language breaks down really fast when it comes to God. And But yet we can communicate about God. And the fact that we can and we can communicate about these ideas with people that don't even believe in God, it's, it's amazing that God allows us to have this language, this imperfect language, but this way of talking about him and that we can have a certain understanding of who he is even in our mortal human bodies that are very limited by space and time. Mm-hmm. And then he's, you know, so he's given us, you know, the gift of speech, the ability to communicate, the ability to share with one another, obviously organic synthesis to kind of like talk about him. And yet, as it says, you know, our, this is paragraph 42, our human words always will fall short of the mystery of God. And so once again, it's like talking about him, the deposit of the faith, talking about what we've been given, this inheritance of the faith. Um, it's not as though we're going to like just wrap all this up in a nutshell and we'll be done. I mean, it's something that we continue to dive into more and more throughout the rest of our life. It kind of reminds me, now this was a description of the gospel of John, but I think it sort of applies to what we're talking about now, was I've heard the gospel of John, I remember hearing this in seminary. I don't remember who said it. I apologize for that. But they said that the gospel of John is like a magical pool. Remember this? in which an infant can wade and an elephant can drown. And I think it's kind of good with this too. It's like God makes himself in some ways like accessible, you know, that, you know, even, you know, the, the good pagans, so to speak, the virtuous pagans, the, the Gentiles, um, as, as St. Paul says there, can know that he exists, right? But even someone who spends all of their energy, all of the time in the depths of theology, are not going to finally finish the you know description of God. And I know I was thinking it was in here, um, but I think I was reading Deus Caritas S by Pope Benedict the Sixteenth earlier, which unfortunately it's an encyclical letter. It's a good example. It's not actually quoted in the Catechism because it came out fifteen years after the Catechism. But he talks about a quote from Saint Augustine. This essentially is like when you think that you've completely understand that you completely understand God, it's not God because it's like you can't take God and put him inside of your, you know, just your, your finite human mind. It's like, he, it doesn't happen that way. It's like a GK Chesterton quote. He said that what we strive to do is get our head into the heavens and adore, you know, like, and be in awe of creation, not to get our head, not to get all of the heavens into our head because our head cracks. You know, it's like that we, we approach God with humility and, um, Thanksgiving and adoration and all of these incredible things to to approach, you know, the mystery of reality. I mean, we don't do it as arrogant owners who are entitled and owed to this. I mean, we're being loved into existence right now. And I know once again I'm jumping ahead and we just kind of like stick to this, but I think it's good to kind of remember that right from the beginning. It's like, hey, the openings of this are available to everyone. And it said, paragraph 39, even to unbelievers and atheists, God is loving them into existence too. And it all goes back to, I think it was paragraph 25, about charity. And what we want to share our love of God with them because that desire for God is written on their human heart as well. Yeah. And I think the last sentence really of this uh, section in paragraph 43 really sums it up. 
um, again from St. Thomas Aquinas, and I'm going to have another quote from St. Thomas Aquinas here in a second. Um, Concerning God, we cannot grasp what he is, but only what he is not, and how other beings stand in relationship to him. So we can see that, you know, we don't necessarily know who God is or what God is, but we know everything else is not God. And I think we are much happier in life when we realize that I'm not God. Father's not God. No one in the world is God. Thanks be to God yeah. that we don't have to worry about the people in on earth and in this world that they have some sort of divine plan the way that God does. Thanks be to God as well that he's all loving, all knowing, and perfect, and he has this whole thing under control, especially in the world that we live in right now where everything feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket. We know that no one person is in control. We don't have to worry about what the president has in store for us, past president or current president. We don't have to worry about how Sacred Heart's going to grow into a parish or not. We're going to put everything into God's hands and say, we're going to do the best we can, and we're going to try to follow you and your will. And we know in the end, everything is going to work out. We just have to have that faith and that trust. And I think recognizing what is not God is almost more important than recognizing what is God? Because if we can put everything in context, then we're going to have a much happier life, a greater trust in who who God is. And everything around us is leading towards him. And going back, rewinding just a little bit when you were talking about um, the vastness of God, right? St. Thomas Aquinas, one, one of the probably greatest saints um, of all time, probably one of the smartest theologians of all time, maybe the smartest. He had a, a revelation near the end of his life where he was given a revelation of the awe of heaven, essentially like what G.K. Chesterton was talking about. And when he came out of this revelation, he says, everything that I have written is but straw. And he burnt a decent chunk of his writings, if I remember correctly. I don't know. That one, I don't know if he actually did. I remember hearing the, you know, it's all but straw compared to it. I don't know if he actually burned them up. Now, I'm pretty sure Matt he Pratt really? said he did. And if anyone's going to be a good authority, that's true. That's true. Class, I know I'm not good authority. Matt Pratt, if you're listening, which you're probably not, but if you are, <laughs> give us a shout out. That'd be great. Um, we should probably reference his like five proofs for the existence of God episode. Oh, too. well, you just said it, so you might as well do it right now. There you go. Well, I'm just going to say like make a reference. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll post we'll it in the link. link. Yeah, and he has a really good book that's about the existence of God as well. It's a fun little dialogue, kind of like what Father and I are doing right now. It's about two people sitting in a coffee shop talking about God. Luckily, neither of us is an atheist, though. So neither of us are, so that makes <laughs> it a little bit easier. But this vastness in the, the beauty that we see and this all directing towards God is just a wonderful thing. They're remembering that we don't have to be in control, and we're not in control, and that helps me sleep. Yeah, absolutely. What was it uh, Pope St. John the 23rd? used to say before going to bed at night, you go, oh, Lord, it's your church. I'm going to bed. You know, so it's what we're, you know, yes, it's, it wasn't all in controllers. Now, you know, we do our part. We do our best, you know, in cooperation with God, with the grace that he's given us. But yeah, I mean, he's God and I'm not. Uh, the other good thing is, you know, so at this point in the catechism, we're really only up to, it's like, there is something and not nothing. You can deduce from that that there is a God. Um, but the cool thing is, just kind of like wet our appetite for next time, is we start to get into God's revelation, like him revealing himself to us. And that's the great thing, is he doesn't just leave us with, okay, wait a second, I can deduce that there is something and not nothing, that there are roses, you know, that that it doesn't make sense for this to just be 
you know, just free for all chaos, no point. He doesn't just leave us at that. Um, he's going to go forward and start revealing all of these incredible things to us. And that's where we're going to start going next time. I guess first we need to talk about the degree. No, and that's fine. But I like where you went because if we ended the story there, it would be a yeah. little depressing. It would be very depressing. And that's, that's where it's like, because I, I agree with you completely about that quote from St. Thomas Aquinas. We cannot grasp what he is, but only what he is not. And yet, he's he has told us so much about what he is. That's 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 the beautiful thing about the faith. It's not like so. There's a type of uh, a way of practicing the faith. I don't know if you call it a religion, but like to be a deist, right? And so, and and I haven't read enough, but apparently, you know, like a lot of the founding fathers were kind of this way. Like God is like a you know, divine watchmaker that he set it all in motion and then he just steps back and has nothing to do with it, right? Just kind of like watches the stuff happen. That's not our faith. I mean, yes, he has, he has put all of this in motion. He's created, he saw that it is very good, but he doesn't leave it there. And that's the awesome thing about this. Um, time and time again, he, you know, reaching out to his people, he's loving us. And then in the fullness of time, you know, he gives us his only begotten son. And we'll keep going and learning about that. But it's like that. And it's funny because this is only like 25 paragraphs here of this first section. But still, before you jump to that, it's like what it's all about. Charity. It's all about love. You know, and then God loving us into existence. And so I'm really excited to dive in even more. Than yeah. That. And God is love. So we, when it's all about love. It's all about God. Jesus Christ. And... Going back to that St. Thomas Aquinas quote, because it's just so amazing, right? That we cannot grasp who he is, but he can show us who he is. So we as human beings are limited and we can't grasp it, but we don't have to because he brings it to us. So as we said, if that was the end of the story, if we had to grasp it all ourselves, wah, wah, yeah. depressing, nothing else to it. We just get stuck there and we can't reach up into the heavens. But if the heavens reach down to us, all of a sudden, the whole story gets lit up. The whole story becomes new. And it becomes something magnificent that we can grasp because, spoiler alert, God became man. And since God became man, we can understand God better. Yeah. And, I mean, in, in St. Irenaeus of Leon, God became man, that man might become God. I mean, we talk about like divinization. Um, and that sounds weird and big, but... Uh, when I mingle the water and the wine at the Mass, you know, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. He is love. He wants to communicate and share his very self with us and wants us to share ourselves with him. Um, that he's loving us in that way, calling us into that communion. Uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> Perfect. Well, in brief, so we've got... One, two, three, four, six paragraphs here for the in brief. And as we said, definitely take some time to read these because this kind of summarizes our whole hour conversation. Really half an hour because the first 25 paragraphs didn't have an in brief. And that was more of the summary of the catechism. So next month, we won't have a summary. So it's going to be a lot of very heavy meat yeah. for a full hour. So can I tell you my verse? That I want you to memorize. Okay, next time I should, I'll pick one too. So it's another quote from Gaudium et Spes because nice. it's just absolutely amazing. And it's in paragraph 49. Without the creator, the creature vanishes. Nice. I think that's that sums up what we just talked about, that there has to be a creator. There has to be something there 
that's holding us into existence. And it also kind of goes into talk about how it's not just that we vanish, but we become skeletons of ourselves. So we, we vanish as human beings, right? When we don't have God as the center of our lives and we aren't looking for that divine being that was written on our hearts, we lose meaning in this life. So we, as not that we as creatures vanish physically speaking, but we vanish as human beings and we start losing that identity of who we are as human beings. So for me, without the creator, the creature vanishes. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 49. That's what I'm focusing on. I really like it. I think it's good. You know what it kind of reminds me of too? It's uh, the title of the show on EWTN in the afternoon uh, on the radio for non-Catholics. It's called Called the Communion, right? And the whole thing is, is like, yeah, we are, we are called into communion with God and with one another. We are not made to just turn it on ourselves. And the beautiful thing, it's like you look at the Trinity from all time. God, the Father, loving God, the Son, the love between them is a person, the Holy Spirit. Um, that there was never a time that there was just loneliness, right? That God is love, loving himself, and then loving us into existence. So we're called into communion. And so without the creator, the creature vanishes. Um, and that at the root of it all is that love that's continually loving himself. And we get to participate in that forever. So it's absolutely amazing. Fantastic. That's so good. But we don't have forever. We only have an hour. And we have five more minutes. Hey. So actually, we did great for the first time. Really up with five minutes to go. Pretty good. So if you have questions, I hope you have questions. We hope you have questions. The goal is in the future to take the last 10 to 15 minutes, if we can spare it, and hopefully we can, to answer questions from the previous. Now, the answers probably won't be terribly long because we are trying to limit the time. And if we get a lot of questions, we might have to come up with some other atmosphere way of answering some questions. But uh, post on the Facebook video, send us a direct message on Facebook, send me an email if you have it, call the office, doesn't really matter to us. Just give us your questions because we want to make sure that we're talking to a camera right now and you all are out there somewhere watching this at this point, but we want to make sure there is a dialogue, that it's not just a one-way thing, because I love questions. Yeah. And there's no such thing as a bad question, unless you're a middle schooler, then there might be a bad question. <laughs> Every once in a while, there is one bad one. Um, so middle schoolers out there, I believe in you to ask good questions. Um, and everyone else, please send in your questions. We'd love to have them and answer them in the future. Yeah, I think that's great. And I would just say, look ahead. Uh, for the next time, if I'm not mistaken, we get another sort of like even break mm -hmm. on uh, paragraph numbers. So basically, paragraph number 50 to, if I'm not mistaken, paragraph 100. It adds exactly a paragraph 100 on the next in brief section uh, on the profession of faith. So, you know, if there's anything like we kind of threw out some uh, document names like Gaudium and Spes, that's one of the documents from the Second Vatican Council. Um, anything that you wanted a little bit more uh, clarification, just let us know. We're happy to, to help in whatever way we can. And this is just a nice opportunity. You know, once again, thanks to the you know, marvels of modern technology that we can sort of be with you and especially like when it'll work for you. Obviously, it's live at 3.30 to 4.30 on a Thursday afternoon, but you can listen to it whenever. And let us know if you have questions later on down the road. Um, we're happy to do our best and answer. Yeah, and the great thing is the whole text and every text we talked about is online. Yeah. So let us know and we'll send you the link and we'll try to find the source and we'll try to find page numbers and citations and we can give you whatever you want. You just got to let us know because this is not about us. 
right? We had a pretty decent Catholic education between the two of us. Um, and we're trying to share a little bit of that knowledge that we have and a little bit of the knowledge of the Catholic Church with you all. So help us make this about you and help us to give you what you want. And leave us a little bit of feedback. There's no ratings or anything that we're worried about because it's just on Facebook and we're just doing our own thing. But if you guys want a, a little bit different style, if you want more dialogue, if you didn't like how we did it, it's the first one. We've got 4.77 years to go. So this will adapt and change a lot in the future. And we want to hear your opinions and thoughts of how we can make this better and more engaging for you all and to help you learn more. Yeah, when you think about this, it's like the pilot episode. I mean, hopefully we're not going to like revamp it and have new characters next time. And you know, we might we might change the set, maybe get a green screen or something like that. Maybe different fun. intro music because we didn't have any. That's okay. We don't really need intro music. It's all good. But no, it's just a fun way to get, be able to talk to you. And um, yeah, just great to be with everybody. Uh, hope to see you at Mass on Sunday. And if you're coming from afar, hope you get to see us at Mass on Sunday via, via live stream. Uh, the one other thing I'd say, I definitely recommend get an actual catechism. Like, get the book and have the book. Uh, there are some good online editions. Like, you can read it on the Vatican website. If I'm not mistaken, the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, on their website has kind of like an interactive catechism, um, which is good. But once again, I, I don't know. I've kind of gotten to the point where I just, once again, using the mod, mod, marvels of modern technology, I like having a book in my hand. Uh, it's nice to have it. Plus, it's nice when you're reading. There's not like pop-ups and stuff like that. And you know, it's just, it's nice when you can just be quiet and read and meditate, especially with something like this that leads us deeper into the faith. So I highly recommend it. Um, it's a good investment. I don't know how much this one would cost. I mean, with inflation, I got in 2004. I don't remember how much it was. Um, but they're available out there. I highly, highly recommend having an actual copy. You can find them anywhere. Go to Amazon. Yeah. It's really not that hard. And there's several different editions. If you see one with a blue cover, they just released, I think, the third edition because really? Pope Francis changed that one oh, line. Right. We'll get to in a while. Um, so there's uh, a blue one. There's the older kind of brown copy that you can get. There's a smaller uh, white copy. Obviously, these ones here. So as long as it says Catechism of the Catholic Church, you're probably going to be okay. And I think at the front, you're going to have something with like the signature of John Paul II. Um, yeah, this one's the second edition. I, I don't know. This is what I've always had. So I'm obviously. I'll link it. I'll link it in the, in the description cool. below. So buy whatever one I link below. <laughs> Just get that one, and you'll be good. So. All right, well, thank you all for joining us, and let's go ahead and close with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.